Powwow Life, Episode 5, for March 18th, 2016. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm your host, Paul Gowder. This week, we've got a great guest, Jody Gillette, who just finished her term working for the Obama administration. She tells us of her journey from Pine Ridge Reservation, dancing, working uh, with tribal governments and tribal politics, and then all the way to the White House. Hope you're enjoying today's music. This is Buffalo Horse. If you want to listen to them and other songs like this, make sure you go to radio.powwows.com. We stream all day, every day, all powwow, all the time. Thanks again for tuning in this week. Sit back and enjoy the show. Jody, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure to visit with you. Yeah, so um, you just left um, with the Obama administration. Um, what was uh, what was your role there? What was in what was your title? I was the special assistant to the president, and uh, that was on on Native American affairs. Um, I served for. Six years in different capacities, but that's when I—that's the one I left with, and uh, I worked at the Domestic Policy Council. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, it, you know, following you throughout the last few years, it was—it's been really exciting to see somebody, you know, from the powwow world um, make that transition and and you know, seeing some of the things that you were able to accomplish was, was pretty wild. Um, well, for those of you, for those people out there, listeners who who don't know you, um, tell me a little bit about you know. Um, I know you've been dancing for a long time. Where are you, where are you from, and um, how long have you been dancing? When did you get started? I'm from. I'm originally from the um, the Ogallala and Hunkpapa people. My um, my great grandmother was Cheyenne, and so we've been we've been all over the Dakotas all my life, and in Denver and Nebraska, and up and down that whole corridor uh, since I was born. Um, and I guess I've been dancing since I could walk. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and when did the interest in, in politics start? I, I guess the, the interest in politics is just something that, um, I, I would say that I'm, I'm pretty typical as a, as a Native American where, you know, I really haven't, um, part, you know, I didn't participate as much. I voted, I didn't um, um, get involved and volunteer in, in politics much um, outside of tribal politics because, of course, you know my family has always been in, in tribal politics. Um, I have you know great great grandparents who who served as chiefs, and my uh, my dad was on tribal council. My brother um, was on tribal council. Now he's the chairman of our tribe, and. Um, you know, my dad served in a, on a number of different school boards and 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 so forth in in my home uh, reservation community, which is Standing Rock Sioux Tribe. So, you know, what as far as like my interest in politics goes, it's always been 
brought you know a, a part of of what what our family's done, but it's not um, the the national politics and sort of like the mainstream American politics isn't something that I was I was really excited about, mostly because I didn't really see myself or my values reflected very uh, readily in in the American politics. And so when you got that opportunity, how was the transition going from local politics to through the national arena? Well, I, I mean, I don't think it was necessarily um, a, you know, sort of like it switched on and then all of a sudden, you know, I became in, involved in national politics. What happened was that the now President Obama, then candidate Obama, was um, putting out policy papers. He was you know, making statements that resonated with me, that, that, that meant something to me. He, he talked about uh, protecting Native women um, from, from perpetrators of, of violence. It, he talked about um, protecting Native languages. He talked about uh, protecting sacred sites. And those are things that I had never seen a candidate speak so clearly and so, um, uh, I guess, uh, to my heart as, as much as he did as, as a candidate. And, uh, so this was probably the spring of 2008. And, um, you know, I'd been, I'd been following, you know, just like anybody else, I, I was watching the race and watching the primaries unfold and, and, uh, and he was, he was different, his, his, uh, approach to a lot of different constituencies, but ours in particular was, was unique. Um, unlike any I had ever seen before, and so I didn't like jump into national politics. What I did was I called up my friends that um, I had known in Washington D.C. for a number of decades and said, "I want to, I want to help. I want to, I want to go door to door. I'm, I'm excited. I, I want this, this, this man to win. I think he's, uh, he's wonderful. And I, you know, what can I do?" And then eventually that led to me being um, the director of the state first American uh, first Americans for Obama. So the um, Obama for America was the name of the organization that ran this campaign, and they had different states where they hired people, and so they asked if I would run the North Dakota um, Obama for America, the first Americans for for Obama, and um, and. I didn't accept it first, but I eventually um, did accept it, and that was in at the end of June of 2008. And so, what I did was I didn't, you know, I didn't go to Washington D.C. or I didn't go to Chicago. I just did what I always, you know, sort of knew to do, and that's I I talked to people um, and and treated it like it was a, a a campaign for tribal politics. So I didn't. I didn't have to, and this was a, a really good thing that the um, Obama for America campaign did was they said, you know how how people how to get people excited about voting um, more than we do. So tell us what works, and if it works for your community, then we'll we'll um, just follow your lead. And they just kind of left left me to you know figure that out. And so there's things that work in in uh, Indian country that aren't necessarily things that um, work in the city in Chicago or in New York City or Philadelphia. And so I, you know, had to help my dad run for chairman. I'd help my, um, my, my dad 
and my brother. Well, I, I, you know, I, I'd gotten involved in, in getting people elected and, and getting out the vote for tribal politics. And, and contrary to popular belief, you know, Indians do vote in elections, especially the tribal politics. They, they get involved, they participate, they participate at high levels. And so, um, just trying to understand how that could be translated into a presidential campaign is what I did. And, um, and that's, that really was built on work that I'd done for over a decade on, um, you know, we do have things that work for our communities, uh, but you have to first ask what those are and then listen to what they are and not try to impose other strategies that may not, may be foreign and ineffective. One of the things that's ineffective in tribal communities is cold calls during supper time. You don't, call people when they're getting ready to eat and ask them to vote for your candidate. The best thing to do in Indian country is to go door to door and just talk to people. And so that's, that's one of the differences. Um, it takes more time. It takes more people to do the door to door. Um, but it definitely is, is more effective. And, and what they're finding out is that's actually more effective for a lot of um, rural America. Uh, rural America doesn't like people calling them at night. And uh, so, and, and, you know, a lot of people don't even answer their phones, frankly. Right. Right. Um, Yeah. I'm down here in the South. You don't call people at dinner. Yeah, for sure. And uh, so the, you know, the, the idea that, you know, there's a switch that went on and all of a sudden I was in national politics. That's not, that's not how it worked. It was, I wanted him to get elected and I was going to do, um, everything I could to help him out where I where I where I lived, and um, and so that meant you know going to where people go in the summer times, and so you know part of it was organizing during the week, but also going to powwows on weekends and setting up booths and talking to people and um, you know recruiting volunteers and all of that. It was fun. Yeah, you know, I remember back in Morongo of that year. Um, you and uh, uh, somebody else, I can't remember who was with you, went online during our webcast and talked about it. It talked about um, the impact of the election on tribal, on, on Indian country. And, you know, I really hadn't paid attention to any of the candidates too much at that point. Um, I mean, I knew which way I, I kind of leaned, but uh, hadn't hadn't really seen what they were doing. But listening to, to you talking, how passionate you were about it, Open my eyes, and, and so I, I I do see how you know you getting involved and in, in showing that passion to other people definitely could have uh, or did spark something with a lot of people. So that's awesome. Yeah, I think um, it wasn't just you know just it wasn't just unique to me. I think a lot of people got pretty excited, um, you know, about about President Obama, and he turned out to be a very uh, awesome president for our people. And so, to me, it was it was well worth the um, the effort, especially um, you know taking risks and putting putting myself out there and saying you know this is this is a really this is going to be a, a a good man to put in office and uh, um, you know it, it it's worth the time to register to vote it's worth the time to go in and and one of the things that um, is is really effective well I I found effective um, was getting people to understand that that it is about protecting our treaty rights. It's about um, protecting our cultures and making sure that um, we have a future. 
and and that it doesn't it doesn't always have to be i mean i worked i worked for a long time in the field of human services but you know sometimes it just felt like you know the um sort of the powers that be and the the way that things were that like we we just didn't have a voice that we just didn't didn't quite get the respect and and didn't quite uh we, we weren't heard um on a number of different issues with either the state governments or the local governments or the federal government the you know the bureau of indian affairs or indian health service it just just felt like you know hitting a wall each each wall each direction you turn you just hit a wall and it it it, it shouldn't be like that it shouldn't be it shouldn't be so hard to make change and make make a difference in our communities. But you know, I was I was feeling like that. I was feeling like you know, God, there's just nobody that really listens to us and and takes us seriously. Even though you know our you know we have a special and political place in this country, and um, we just are not are not getting that kind of um, deference over our own affairs. We're not even talking about you know anything else other than, you know, like, let us, let us be us. And, um, so, you know, that's, that's really what, um, what sparked me is, is that it sounded like this, this guy is, this guy gets us and he's listening. And even if he doesn't understand it really, really well, he has good people that are, that, that, that understand it. So, uh, after that, you you do eventually um, you you took your family and headed to Washington. What were some of those things that you know you're talking about now the the treaty rights and, and um, looking out for Native women? What were some of those things you took to Washington and really wanted to uh, to focus on? Well, you know, first and foremost was that you know being heard is that we have um, you know we have a pretty long history with the federal government as as Indian nations and. Uh, that kind of um, respect and treatment as a as a government, you know, sometimes just gets left behind. It gets left in left behind in the rhetoric, or it gets, or sometimes it just gets ignored and forgotten. And so, one of the reasons that um, one of the things that really resonated with me was that the president said, you know, he's going to put somebody in the White House who's who's going to look at all of the policy and look and make sure that, uh, that Indian people and native Americans, um, are a part of the decision-making and the pol- and the domestic policy decision-making. Um, and, and that was really interesting to me when I, when I came here, I wasn't in policy. I was in, in engagement. I was in uh, public engagement and outreach to tribal government. So what I did was I, um, I organized the Tribal Nations Conference, which is the president, um, you know, he, he, ma- he made a commitment to meet, not only have a policy advisor, but he, he made a commitment to meet with tribal leaders um, every year that he was in office. And he's done it, you know, seven times uh, for seven years straight, he's done it. And that was something that, um, you know, I organized the first two. I was there in the White House um, in public engagement the first two years. And so I worked on, you know, setting up those meetings and those kinds of um, uh, discussions that that tribal leaders have with the president and have with his cabinet and senior advisors. That's what shaped the president's agenda for the next year. And so, um, really, when you talk about um, 
all the things that were on his policy platform during the campaign, a lot of that um, was also stated during the conferences. So take, for instance, the um, Violence Against Women Act. That That's a, an act that needed to be reauthorized, and um, it protects all women. Um, it's, a, it's an act that's meant to protect all women from um, the scourge of, of violence, domestic violence in particular, but other kinds of violence too. Um, and there's, there's some, uh, difficulty with, there's a, there was a Supreme Court case, the Oliphant case, they call it, um, that said basically that tribes and tribal courts, um, didn't have authority to prosecute non-Indians when they abuse Indian women on Indian land. And so during the debates for the reauthorization Um, the President Obama's administration, in consultation with tribes, uh, proposed to close that gap and make sure that tribes had authority. Uh, When somebody, you know, lived in the community and uh, worked, you know, or worked in the community and was, um, had a a partner who was uh, a Native American woman, that if they, um, if they abused that person, that the tribes had um, the authority to prosecute. And, and, and the reason that that's important is because um, there were a number of cases, and, and a lot of times um, there, were, there were a number of cases that, you know, didn't get prosecuted. And a lot of times, um, you know, one woman in particular, I know, um, you know, her, her abuser would tell her to call the police because he knew that the tribal police didn't have any um, didn't have jurisdiction over him, and so he knew that um, it would be difficult. It, the state police didn't have jurisdiction over him. That the federal marsh or the federal, um, the FBI or the federal prosecutors would have to come and get him, and he knew that that wouldn't happen because they only they only come after the really like murderers and you know like grand you know grand theft and things like that, and so. There's, there was a, they call it a jurisdictional gap. So these guys knew that they could, they could get away with abusing. And sometimes it led to, to people dying. Sometimes it led to, you know, serious, serious threats on people's lives, on women's lives. And so President Obama's administration, President Obama really, really supported um, closing that gap. And it actually um, didn't get done. I mean, this was something that they had been working on for a long time, but Congress finally passed that act in 2013. We actually just had the um, third year anniversary earlier this month in March. And so it was a huge, huge victory. And, um, and it was a huge victory that restored tribes' powers to protect their women. Um, it wasn't everything, but it's, it's something that is um, really significant, probably one of the most uh, important and um, uh, seminal uh, restorations of, of tribal authority in you know in a long time, in a long long time, in decades. Yeah, and that that is pretty major um, change in, in not just that law, but like you said, the focus on uh, anybody in Washington really uh, putting that much attention. I get the, getting a little off topic, but. You know, when like on powwows.com, I post sometimes about the president doing this or that or the tribal white, the tribal conference. Um, and just to hear the or read some of the comments, uh, 
um, people, I don't know if they, people don't know what he has accomplished, if, if that's the problem or if, or if it truly is just a, a disdain for him. But the number of comments I get against him from native people is, is astonishing, um, which is hard to understand, but, um, anyways, I get, <laughs> I don't know if, you, yeah, if I mean, you saw that. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't read, I don't read comments. I don't, uh, yeah. um, I don't pay attention to, I shouldn't um, either. <laughs> I mean, I think it's, I mean, I think it's, it's a couple of things. And, and one is that, uh, um, you know, things are, are not perfect. I mean, there's, there's lots of things that, that happened in this administration, you know, the, the trust, the settlement of trust cases where, you know, this, the president settled Cabell or the, this administration settled Cabell versus, um, Salazar. That was a, um, right. A huge settlement. And, um, and, you know, two point, I, I can't remember it's or 3.2 billion or something like that. There's, there's, uh, um, I can't remember the exact dollar amount. I, I'll have to, um, get, get clear on that, but it, it is, it was really significant. Um, the tribal trust cases that are still happening. I mean, there's, this is where the federal government, um, agreed to settle with tribes for, uh, mismanagement and uh, misaccounting of funding mm-hmm. that was paid to tribes for the the leases on Indian lands, or you know the the either whether it's grazing or timber or or um, uh, mining th- those kinds of things. Right. Because you know for years and years the, the this thing was in litigation, and the federal government just kept saying we're just going to keep fighting it because we don't think we. Even though they 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 do know that they don't know where you know how to account for the money, it's just like this thing where they were just going to keep fighting it. But you know the fact that they've agreed to settle that, the Keep Siegel settlement, the um, recently Rama versus um, Salazar, Rama's the contract support cost settlement that you know that just came through over you know it was like nine hundred forty million dollars. There's all of these different things where um, this is called, uh, we called it resolving longstanding disputes. So Indian tribes have been wronged, and the federal government just didn't didn't really didn't really um, own up to any kind of um, malfeasance or mismanagement or anything. And they still haven't. And in the settlement, it doesn't say that yeah we did that, but the fact that they settled means that they paid out and it is it is a, uh, an admission that they weren't going to probably um that they either didn't prevail or that they they were tired or they just didn't want to fight it anymore that it was going to be worth it to settle it and so these are these are you know um trying to get past uh, a really awful history between the United States and Indian tribes and just because there's all these big settlements happening doesn't mean that a lot of people aren't still traumatized, that they are not still living through a lot of um, really bad things that happened in boarding school or really bad things that, you know, were just a, a wrongful taking of land or a wrongful flooding of, you know, sacred ground or, um, you know, just just bad things happen for a long time, 
And so, you know, people being upset with the president is, I think it's more of a, of a reflection of people being upset with the way that Indian people have been treated for centuries. It's not going to end in one presidency. It's not going to be fixed and healed and, you know, we're not going to move on in one eight-year period. It's going to take a long time. But what this president's tried to do is set a different course to, to change, change the tune, change, turn the page into a new chapter. And, and that's one that of respect and of diplomacy that is um, um, meant to, to, to be on a um, path where Indian nations can thrive again. They're not just surviving, they're thriving. That's what that's that's the hope. Not now not that's not the case right now. And so for people to be upset, you know, it, it makes sense. I mean I, I, I have a lot of people who are in my family or, you know, who have, you know, been still working with the same bureaucrats that they worked at worked with before he came into office and they don't see that big of a change right now. They don't it's it doesn't feel like it's at the local level sometimes maybe many times in certain communities maybe it's it feels like it's exactly the same and you know change is is difficult and it takes a long time and you know so i don't you know i don't fault or i don't i'm not like i don't judge people who are upset with this president i'm not upset with him because i know that he cares and i know that he has a deep commitment and it's it's a, a real one. I can I can't say that. I can't say that right now for um you know, many other presidents that came before him. Maybe they, you know, at one point they decided that they were gonna care and that they tried to do more or they didn't know. This president came in learning and trying every single year. And and you know, maybe people don't appreciate it now but you know, he'll go down as one of the, as one of the greatest presidents for our people. Just like Nixon, you know, people still look back and say Nixon was the greatest. I think President Obama surpassed President Nixon, and he'll go down in history. And, and yeah, I was going to ask you next. Um, now that you've left and you look back on your six years, um, what do you see that is, is still left to be done? What are those issues that, that still need to be addressed in, in the next administration? I mean, there's there's so many things that uh, are still wrong. Um, the, the school systems, I think that there's, um, there's still not a recognition of the value of the perspectives of Native peoples, the different... Um, uh, philosophies and and our understanding of the of of this earth um, that there's are still not that kind of acknowledgement that I wish there could be, and um, and what that does is that it it results in uh, they it, we still have to um, kind of justify why we don't want to become like every other American. We still, you know, like our school systems um, are not, they're, they're hostile places for our kids when it comes to our perspectives and our belief systems. Um, 
you know, there's, there's some people that can, you know, that, you know, we're, we're, we're good at becoming, um, you know, just sort of playing the game and pretending like we're buying into the, the whole, um, I guess, paradigm of, of what education looks like. But, you know, there's places across the world, like you go to the Maori, you go to Native Hawaiians, there's, um, you know, the the Blackfeet are doing some really interesting things. So, um, you know, Cherokee, they're, they're, we have really important worldviews that are on the brink of extinction. Um, because if we don't have our languages intact, our perspectives and our, the way that we understand uh, this earth um, can be you know, seriously compromised in the next couple generations. We have, like, some important work to do, but there's there's not a, um, there's not, there's a lack of value on that, and it's, the, the value is put on to things like, um, um, you know, um, calculus, being able to do calculus at, you know, 11th grade or 10th grade doing high performing calculus. And if we don't have people doing calculus in high school, then, you know, then we're not, we're not competing in the world worldwide arena, you know, and, and not to go too much into the details of education, but I took calculus. I took calculus <laughs> in high school. I took calculus in college. Ask me when I've used it. Yeah. used it, it a lot. <laughs> you know, it might be, it, it might be something that is is really important for computer programming and engineering, but in terms of like, does every single child have to get, you know, uh, ninety four on the standardized tests, and they all have to? And, and, and are we spending all of our time trying to learn calculus for what? You know, that's like, what does that do? By the time kids are in high school they already know what their talents are. They already know, you know, that there's, there's some things that they're good at and there's other things that they're not. And, you know, for, for a lot of native communities, we get stuck in this um, sort of, we get pegged for not having the kinds of achievement scores as everybody else. And, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there saying like, we have, we have other kinds of things that are like, more valuable and when are we going to get credit for that you know (laughs) it's um uh we have kids that are incredible singers we have kids that um you know in in certain depending on your communities they understand you know whole different um uh, you know like the, the, the the pueblo children or you take some of the the kids um up on the you know northwest coast they're you know they're learning all this about, or in Alaska, learning how to live off of the land and, you know, where's the value of understanding um, when, you know, how to hunt, how to fish, you know, where's that kind of acknowledgement that that's going to be something significant um, for living in, in that specific place and time that you're in, you know, so that's the kind of like, are we, are we all going to become urban people who just live in apartments and go to the grocery store and that's how, you know, that we all just become part of this industrial complex. I mean, it's, it's just kind of like, uh, that's, that's the kind of work that needs to be done. Like we need to 
move the paradigm around a little bit more because uh, this industrial complex isn't too kind to this earth and we're in a pretty much uh, state of crisis as, as to where the uh, climate's headed. And um, so we got to start thinking about about those things more so. Uh, and, and you know who knows the most about about how things are changing, how quickly this earth is changing is, you know, Alaska Natives because they live off the land. Right. And the, the people who, who are dependent on feeding themselves off the land, there are really big differences and it's, and they're very, very nervous. Yeah. It, it's uh it's something that we, I think we still as a society have not come to terms with as far as climate change. Um, it's crazy to me that we we still are to be even debating that. Um, so, you know, what, the uh, like the tribal conference where uh, I think that was one of the major accomplishments that I, that I saw come out of the the last um, seven years, just because it opened a dialogue and it allows people so many people to come and and like you said interact with the uh, the cabinet and the president. How do you see that and some of the other momentum going forward? Do you, do you see it continuing um, with the current candidates that are running, or do you, do you think we're going to lose ground now? Well, I, I'm not sure that a lot of people um, know this, but in 2013, um, the president, President Obama signed an executive order, and the executive order says that, you know, the president shall hold a tribal nations conference on a yearly basis, on an annual basis. And so in order for, so, you know, as much as the, this president can, could, you know, we've tried to put in place uh, um, the, the, you know, the strongest, um, an executive order is, is admin, you know, administrative act that only another president can undo. And so another president can ignore it, um, but they're ignoring, uh, you know, an executive order, which is, which is pretty strong. And so, um, you know, at the end of the day, the next president, you know, like you have Bernie Sanders, you have Hillary, Hillary Clinton, and they're both saying that they're going to carry on and have tribal nations conferences. Um, but, but I, you know, I think that that's, um, uh, that's important to 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 note that you know we don't we don't know we you know I don't I don't know what Trump's going to do I don't you know if he became becomes president he, he, I I don't know what he would do I I don't know that he would pay attention to a, an executive order um, signed by President Obama and um, so uh, at least I, I you know we've gotten commitments already from from the Sanders and the Clinton campaigns that they'll they'll honor it. So that's good. Um, but you know, I, I can't say I, and I don't, I I don't know if it's, if it's going to be Trump or not, or if it's which candidate it's going to be, but there are, I mean, I, I do have to say that, you know, it's, if it is, if it is them, um, I have a little bit of hope because of, uh, representative Cole and representative Calvert and there's, there's Republicans on the house side, um, Senator Moran, there's, there's Republicans in Congress right now who, who get tribal nations. So, you know, as, as much as I can, I'm a big Democrat, I, you know, I'm worked for the White House, uh, 
people would say, like, you know, why is she talking about Republicans and aren't they all evil? No, they're not all evil. Um, Representative Cole, Congressman Cole from Oklahoma, is a dear friend of mine, and, and he's Chickasaw, and he he is so good on our issues. So there's, you know, I have a glimmer of hope that the next president, you know, hopefully will get some advice from from good um, good Republicans who do great things on Indian issues. Um, they've, they've done a great job on appropriations. You know, he and a number of his colleagues helped the Violence Against Women Act um, pass Congress. And, uh, you know, so it, it's, to me, it's not all doom and gloom, but maybe I'm being a little bit too optimistic. Maybe I've been in D.C. for too long. <laughs> and um, I should be painting it all as uh, doom and gloom if... Um, if the Republicans get in. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure Trump knows what he's going to do if he's president. Um, we'll have to see. Um, but, you know, are you surprised at all that with the success that Obama had um, with folks like you getting natives involved in the campaign, that more of these candidates aren't doing the same thing? You know, I, I think San, uh, Bernie just appointed a native advisor just a, what, a couple weeks ago. Um, but nobody else seems to be really even, at least from where I'm sitting, what we see down here in South Carolina, it doesn't seem that any of them are really addressing Native issues. Yeah, I'm I'm really not that uh, involved in this year's election. Yeah. So there's there's lots of reasons that people don't really talk about our issues, and historically they haven't. And I'm not saying that they they won't in this year's election, but um, that's why I was so interested in President Obama because he hired Native staffers, he had policy documents early on, and he kept making policy statements that were very, very progressive for us. I mean, for Native peoples. Um, I, you know, I've I've seen some of the stuff that that. Um, Sanders is doing, and it's good. It's it is good. He's he's doing a good job. Um, Clinton also has documents out there. I don't know why people um, aren't seeing those, but she's also um, got a policy paper, and um, she has advisors. She has a number of different tribal leaders advising her. Um, but for whatever reason, that's not getting picked up, and I don't. I'm not sure why. Um, but it's not like it's it's. Uh, um, dead silence in the, in the campaigns. They're, they're doing things and they talk to people and, um, both, both Bernie and, and Hillary are doing, um, are doing that. And, uh, it, it does seem like the, um, the way that the calendar set up, we don't have, and I've, I was talking to a couple of my friends, uh, my friend, um, uh, well, a few of my friends and, this is how it is. It's it's hard to get the attention in the primaries because many of the states that are first don't have significant tribal populations. So Iowa, New Hampshire, you know, who's there? You know, which which candidates are there? Right. I mean, which not which candidates, which tribes are there? You know, you have um, Meskwaki in in Iowa. That's one tribe, and then you have a number of tribes in Nebraska that border. But Nebraska's, you know, that that primary isn't until later. And, and, you know, the, when Indians, Indians matter, when there's a tie. And the reason that the, um, uh, I think we're not seeing a lot of press 
on Indian issues is because we're going to be more significant during Arizona, during New Mexico, during Washington, during Oregon, during Alaska, you know, and then you know, like North and South Dakota and Montana are like at the end of the, you know, they're in June. They're, in, they're at the end of the primaries. Right. Um, and so it's hard to get, it's hard to get our issues, you know, in, in the limelight, but it's also just hard to get our issues anywhere generally because we have really complicated, um, issues depending on where it is. Like, you know, I work on, on water settlements. I work on, um, different things like, you know, protecting children, Indian child welfare. You do, you say Indian child welfare. That's a complicated issue, and you can't. It's not a soundbite. It's not like a really um, easy thing to talk about on on the nightly news in a two minute, you know, segment. It's 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 pretty complex, and um, and so our stuff tends to get buried because it's kind of hard to understand, and and then furthermore, like we only matter when it, when there's a tie. We we're small in number um but when you have a tie if you can rack up the you know the the, the folks and, and senator tester and senator heidkamp senator franken will talk about this um we really matter when there's a tie when it's 50 50 percent indian communities if you can get us out to vote we usually vote democrat we're gonna we're gonna win the election for you, and that's what happened in 2012. Um, Senator Heidkamp really did a good job of getting people motivated and excited for for her um, Senate race, and Senator Tester did the same thing. And people came out and voted in you know record numbers, and and they both won. And that it, it is actually completely a surprise to most of the pollsters. Because they didn't, they didn't see it coming. They didn't see the Indians coming out in, in that degree, to that degree. Right. That's not factored into most polls. They don't have formulas for that. Yeah. No, because we're we're yeah. we're kind of unpredictable. Right. I mean, we're we're at, our unpredictability isn't who we're going to vote for. It's whether or not we're going to vote, and that's that's got to change. We've got to change that. We've got to become a stronger, um, consistent. Um, um, constituency in in a lot of the states, and I think we're getting better. I mean, I do I do think that it's getting better. As much as 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 things improve, things also get harder because you get you know voter ID, state legislation where they you know they want you to um, provide a an ID with the street address when you know a lot of reservations just haven't they don't have street addresses or if they do a lot of people don't use them and so that you know that kind of stuff is is uh is is twisted voter suppression that that continues to happen and um it's it's a strategy to to keep us off the polls uh, you know keep us out keep us from voting and uh so i i just hope i hope people realize that that's that's somebody's strategy to win is to keep indians from voting so um if if I know anything about uh, my own relatives, is is tell them that you know somebody doesn't want them to do something, and they'll they'll get mad and do it. <laughs> that be you know that's their right to vote. And if you tell them they're trying to keep you out, then I always say like, 
that's what they they don't want us to vote. We got to vote. That's uh, it's important. Yeah, it really is, and and the primaries are a long way from being over. So I, I hope that that people do continue to come out. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's next for you? Are we uh, are you staying home, or are we looking at Senator Gillette soon? Oh no, I am not <laughs> running for office. No, I'm staying home. I'm I'm definitely staying home. But I I do want to say that uh, you know just for just as it goes for like um, powwows and for dancing and and uh, um, I think I think there's uh, there's there's really a strength you know that goes along with with powwows and and how people come together and how different tribes come together. And um, some of the like, some of the best things that I knew when I was doing my job came from um, having relationships that I built um, from going to powwows. And the the people that um, dance and and uh, carry on their songs and their traditions and you know the, our dress and you know the traditions of of, of baking clothing making making dresses, making roaches, you know, all of that is just so, so wonderful. And it, it, uh, it's a huge um, strength that, that I, I still draw upon it. And um, it's something that I think you kind of take for granted when that's, you know, that I, you know, that's what I did. And that's what I, you know, my husband still uh, goes to a lot of powers. My kids still go to a lot of powers. And um, I just think it's, you know, it's a beautiful thing. But I also want to say that a lot of people that powwow are, um, I, I, you know, it, like when we started this discussion, you said, you know, you went from kind of going to powwows to, you know, working in the White House. Well, no, actually there's, you know, it's not, it's not so like black and white, like where it's either or, it's either or, either or. You're either dancing at powwows or you're, you know, a professional doing, you know, doing something, you know, for your tribe. There's there's people who are doing incredible things during the week when they're not powwowing, and powwows are a way for them. And it always was for me. It was it's a way for me to express myself in a way that I'm honoring my my grandmothers and I'm honoring the people who fought for our our ways. And I think that, you know, the the idea that we can't be, you know, a killer student. You know, I know a bunch of, like, I know a couple of fancy dancers, or I know one fancy dancer in particular, went off, you know, while she was dancing, put herself through med school and is now a physician. I mean, there's just so many people that do, you know, grace for many horses. Paolo dancer in the weekend, you know, running down bad guys as a, as a police officer during the week. There's There's just... So many people that I know that are just doing phenomenal things, and they're they're phenomenal dancers and bead workers and singers, and there's no reason that it has to be, you know, sort of like you either are this or you're that. Um, and and some like people don't know like they, I think a lot of people didn't know or maybe they they didn't know that you know I went you know I have my masters I went. Um, you know, I went to an Ivy League school. Um, I, you know, I had published things and, you know, I didn't just wake up and join a campaign. There's a lot of things that was in my past before 
I came, got involved in the campaign that prepared me for the campaign. It, it was a lot of, you know, a lot of really hard work with really hard issues that I didn't do, you know, in a way knowing that it was going to lead me um, to work for the president. But I did it because, you know, I care about our people. I care about our, our young children. I care about our families. And I want our cultures to survive. And, and that's, that's, what, that's what led me to the White House. It wasn't that I woke up one day and thought, well, I think I'm going to go and work for, for the president. It, it's, it's all of those things that, you know, throughout my life, just taking risks and trying really hard at whatever was before me was what led me there. And, and I don't think that um, people give enough credit to our own people because there's so many other people that you know, are, are just like me that, you know, work hard in their professions and, and go to powwows. And it's part of what sustained me. And I, I don't dance anymore. And, and there's, there's lots of reasons for that, but mostly because my job right now, you know, I, I, I can't, I can't get Fridays off and I can't travel on Mondays and, you know, there's, it, it's just not possible, but, um, there's a lot of people that do, and I have, you know, the utmost, utmost respect for for people who are who are able to um, juggle both those because powwows are are hard work too, and there's people that um, you know that that you know that's all they do is they powwow, but they they also have they're also students. I mean, they're also um, doing you know they, they're artists. You know, there's some people that are um, they they do their their art full time and that's how they sustain themselves and that's good. There's you know but I think that, you know, there's some you know you know, being a being a part of the powwow world is um, you know, you, you have to work hard. It's not something that is um is an easy uh easy thing to do. It's it's really hard and I have um I have you know, family there. Like I have, I, I think of a lot of the people and I miss them. I don't see them as much as I, I'd like to, but the people would say, do you miss powering? And I used to say, well, I don't miss grand entry because it's always like stressful. <laughs> I think grand entry is always stressful, but I do miss my friends. I miss the company and I miss the live, the live music and dancing, you know, dancing to live music. There's, there's nothing like it. So. Yeah. I, I, you know, that, that, that's really true about a lot of people in the powwow world. And um, I'm honored to have you on. And when I started the, doing these interviews and, and the uh, the podcast, my goal was to to find – I'm lucky because of powwows.com. I get to meet people like you and, and run into people like you. And, and I want to show the rest of powwow world some folks like you. And so I'm really honored that you came on the show um, and, and told your story. Um, there are many more like you, and, and hopefully I can – bring more people like you to the to the show but yeah um i totally agree with what you're saying and and want to say thanks for all you have done um and thanks for being on thanks paul yeah i appreciate it well have a good night thank you very much that's it for this week's show Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We appreciate you supporting the show. 
Be sure to get all the updates and news stories from powwows.com by joining our newsletter. You can join it the, right on the front page of powwows.com, www.powwows.com. Again, thanks everybody, and we'll see you down the trail.
luck, here is this week's trivia question. You can head over to powwowlife.com to fill out the form and submit your answer. All the right answers are entered into a drawing for a 10-sticker powwows.com sticker pack. Here's the question. This year, we are celebrating a big milestone. We have been live streaming for a number of years. So tell me, what year was the first year we streamed and what was the first powwow we streamed? If you've been listening or following our content, you should be able to find it. Good luck. Powwowlife.com to submit your answer. What was the first powwow and what year did we first live stream? Good luck and thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next week.